And uh, I have to tell you, it didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to turn out, but that's okay. And we kind of got sidetracked, and maybe that was good again, and maybe it wasn't so good, I don't know, but we got sidetracked. And so uh, tonight, or rather tonight, in the next half hour or so, we're going to try to summarize what we've learned and finish up our last two distinctives. And uh, I should have the, the acrostic for you, but for you veterans that have been here for uh, the balance of these messages, hopefully you can remember if I, this, this review, we used the, the acronym or the, the, uh, the word Baptist to define biblical truths that are distinctive primarily to Baptists. Now that doesn't mean that other people don't hold to some of these tenets, but this is very distinctive in regards to Baptists. For example, the B in Baptist stands for, what's the word? Help me out. Bible. The Bible is the only rule. There's the key word, only rule of faith and practice. And so many Baptists, of course, don't, don't even have confessions. Now, there are Baptist confessions. We looked at that. Westminster, uh, or the Confession of Faith, or the Baptist, Philadelphia Baptist Convention Faith. But, but we believe that the Bible is our only rule of standard and our only rule of authority uh, for all faith and practice. And, of course, we looked at many verses. The A in the Baptist acrostic stands for, what's that word? Autonomy or the self-government of every local church. Just like there's no two people in this room that are exactly alike, and everybody governs their life different than the person next to you in some small nuanced ways. There's also no two, in God's genius, there's no two churches alike. There's only one Harvest Baptist Church in all the world from New Hartford, Connecticut, that does things exactly like we do things. And so there's, we're accountable to God and not to a hierarchical board or denomination or prelate, or group of people somewhere else in a home office somewhere, or an international office. We believe in the autonomy of every local New Testament church, and we see that through the scriptures, uh, Revelation 2 and 3, especially the seven churches of Asia Minor, and then, of course, the epistles, enough said regards to that. So we have the, the, the B, the A, and then the P stands for, remember the key word? Priesthood, the priesthood of every believer, that every believer has equal priesthood, with God the Father, through the, the only uh, intercessor is Lord Jesus Christ. Man, woman, boy, girl, rich, poor, bond, free. It makes no difference. We all have an equal priesthood. There's no hierarchical in the priesthood. And uh, I've been flattered many times. And now we have our intercessory prayer pastor. Pastor Solomon probably prays more than probably, I know he prays more than me for sure. And I think he probably prays more than most people in this room, no offense. But he's not any more a priest of God than you are, if you're a child of God. But it just so happens he prays more. I don't believe that God hears his prayers anymore. And we talked about the, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. We have to have a clear pathway. But we're all priests with God is the point. And then, uh, then number letter T stands for the two, what? Ordinances, okay? And the first one being that of the baptism. The second one that being of the, What? Lord's Supper. They're not sacraments, remember. They're ordinances. And then we looked at a few weeks ago, last couple of weeks, we looked at the, the I in the Baptist acrostic, which stands for what? Can you help me out? Individual what? Soul liberty. Then no two of us think exactly alike on, any, on all that the scriptures define, and there's certain things that I believe are important that you might not believe are so important, and vice versa. And we have preferences and convictions, and we've talked about that in some detail. We have to respect each other's soul liberty, but when we come to the body, a local New Testament believer, a local New Testament church, 
we must at sometimes put away or forego our personal individual soul liberty for the good of the body. I don't like all the laws of the state of Connecticut, but I, am a, I live in Connecticut, so I have to obey them. And as long as they don't disobey the laws of God. And so anyhow, we talked about individual soul liberty. Then we skipped to the last S. We looked at it last week, and I wanted to finish up, but I'm looking at that clock. We have, we've got two more distinctives to get through in the next 30 minutes. So we looked at, for one, one Sunday, last Sunday, the separation of what? Church and state. Now that's a distinctive. Our founding fathers, and we believe, starting with Roger Williams, in American history, John Clark, John Crandall, and we talked about our Baptist forefathers going back 400 years ago in America, and then go back to John Smith in England, and just names that you should eventually know, that we realize that the, the state should not intrude into the affairs of the church, that we have, have to have individual rights of conscience. And so we believe in separation of church and state, that the state has no power to dictate or to tell the the church, what they believe or what they can teach or preach. And we left off, I think, last week. Uh, you know, this violates the, the, uh, the First Amendment, of course, the, the separation of church and state, or rather the uh, a violation of free speech. Preachers should have free speech as well as anybody else. And it's interesting since, uh, just do one little tidbit of history, you know, for 50, 50 oh, well, 60 years in our American Culture since the Johnson Amendment, Senator Johnson then became President Johnson, as most of you know. But he made that Johnson Amendment. It was never law; it was just a. It was amendment to or not or to. It was just a, a Senate. Uh, uh, what do you call it? I'm trying to think of the right word. Not bill, but uh, anyhow, he made the statement that only that uh, nonprofit organizations cannot enter into the public realm of of uh, politics, essentially, is what he said. But that never held true for the liberal side of the equation. You notice that, you that went through history. Liberal churches were always allowed to have candidates in over the years, and it was the conservatives that were branded, of course. Well, that's all changed here just in the last year or so. And so we looked at this separation of church and state. The last two this morning that we want to look at, the S, and we're going to do that second. We're going to go to the T for a moment. We believe, and take your Bibles if you would, please, and let's turn, if you, we could, to Ephesians chapter 4 to begin. And I'm going to do this rapid fire. You have a worksheet, and uh, we're going to get to that in 10 minutes from now. How about that? I want to look at this for just a few moments. The two offices, the T, the second T in the Baptist acrostic. We believe in two offices in the Bible, or scriptural offices. The Bible teaches that there are only two scriptural offices in the New Testament church, that of pastor and that of deacon. And so we want to look at the word pastor for just a moment. And, and you don't have a worksheet, so just follow along, please. Ephesians chapter 4. And I want you to notice that God gave gifted people to the church. Now, I have to do this quickly, but... Being dispensationalists as we are, we understand that the church had a evolving from the Old Testament era, of course. And when the church, if we say the birthday of the church is at Pentecost, and that can be disputed, but that's another, another time, another day, another story. We know that Christ offers, Anderson, and it brings us into a new dispensation. But the church had apostles, did they not? 
course they did. And then they had, I'm referring to Ephesians 4.11, they had prophets. There was no New Testament written, remember? And so men spake, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The early church had apostles, then they had, they had prophets. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 that prophecies shall cease, remember? And the completion of the word of God, of course. And then some evangelists, some people believe that that's referring to uh, what we would say missionaries. So we have five groups of gifted men, some apostles, some prophets, some pastors, and some, or some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, I've done this many times before. Let me do it quickly, but try to pay attention. Notice it says some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors. It doesn't say and some teachers, does it? And this is what we call in the Greek language the Granville Sharp Rule. And the two, the, the Grand Rule Sharp Rule says this, when there are two nouns in the same case, number, and gender, don't let me get you overwhelmed. Some of you that have foreign language, you're following me. Two nouns in the same case, number, and gender with one article, that's the word the, and a conjunction, that's the word and, that the Granville Sharp Rule says it's talking about one and the same person. And so there is, they don't have the word some there, so... And we say the five groups of gifted uh, leaders to the church, we have pastors and teachers. But really there are many that believe that the pastor and teacher, the, the word pastor there is the word keruxo or keruso. Kerux is a Greek word for a preacher. I'm a preacher of the gospel. By the way, every child of God is supposed to be a preacher of the gospel too, so you're a preacher in the gospel in that sense. But your preacher... But also that word teacher is the word didache or didaskalos for the word teacher. And some believe that the pastor is to be the pastor teacher. He's the pastor. He's the, he's the preacher, rather. And this is the word poimain, by the way. And uh, the, the word preach is the word, I, I, I misspoke for just a second here. I don't want to confuse you. The word pastor is the word poimain there. It's the word for shepherd. And the word Teachers, the word didaskalos, but the two names for the same office. I'm going to be the shepherd teacher, the pastor teacher. That doesn't mean we can't have teachers as we have going on in our Sunday school classes right now. But this is specifically speaking about the pastor teacher. Now go to First Peter real quickly, and I said we were going to do this quickly, so I hope I'm not going too fast. But in First Peter chapter 5, there's three more words for the pastor or for, for the, the under-shepherd. There's the word poimain, that's the word for shepherd. And the shepherd of his flock, not my flock. Then there's the word teacher. I'm the, to be the chief teacher, the, the, the poimain teacher, Daskalos. But then we get to verse number First Peter chapter five verse one. Then the, the elders. Now you you've heard of churches that have like for example the board of elders. You've heard that term before. We have elders, and we talk about our senior citizens being elders. But the Bible says the elders. That's the Greek word presbyteros. Obviously, the Presbyterians get their name from this word elder. The presbyteros translation, and you can almost figure it out yourself. The word presbyteros means the president of the assembly. 
Now, we've borrowed a little bit of this. I don't want to get too far off track, but we have a three-form system of government in our United States, do we not? We have three branches of government, remember? We have executive, judicial, and legislative. Without, uh, it was borrowed from the Old Testament, by the way. And uh, I'm the executive office. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm, the, the, uh, I'm not a dictator. I'm a shepherd. I'm a leader. I'm supposed to be leading the flock, not driving the flock. There's a difference. You know, some pastors are, are drivers. They think they have, they have cattle for members. And the Lord says you know, we're to be shepherds and we're to lead our flock gently. And uh, so anyhow, we have the presbyteros, which are among you, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who also am an elder, um, Peter says. So we have this, this, this word, Elder. Then we have the next word, verse number two, when I'm going fast for the last time. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight. Now there's the function, the oversight. And that word is the, the uh, when we see the overseers, and I'm going to Hebrews 13, 7 and 17, where the Bible says that we are to be the overseers of the flock of God. It's the word episkopos. So you know what word we get from that. That's where the Episcopalians get their name from. And so we have the Episcopos, we have the Presbyteros, we have the Keruxo or the Kerus, the preacher. I didn't show you those verses. We could look at some verses. Uh, I'm to preach the word in season and out of season. So are you, by the way. We're all to be preachers. We're all to be teachers, right? And by the way, some and don't take this in the wrong form, but we're all to be mentors or shepherds, or rather, pardon me, or... or leaders of others or pastors of others and help lead our, hopefully all of our Sunday school teachers are, are in a pastoral role right now and they're leading their sheep, their flock in a proper way. But I'm the head poimen, really a, I'm not the archipoimen to use the Greek words again. He's, that's the Lord Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd, First Peter 5. I'm an under shepherd. And so we have the, the office of the pastor. And then, uh, so we don't, contrary to many other different types of churches, we don't have a board, a governing body or board over us. Uh, I, in fact, I got it last night. We were at dinner, and, and uh, I'll just leave where we were at. I named some folks know where we were at, and we had a good, great time. But the question is asked, you know, uh, and they asked how many years I've been pastor here, in 32 years. So that always shocks people, like, well, they don't change you around every two or three years. So you're going to get moved, or I says, well, I'm hopefully not going to get moved, but uh, <laughs> uh, I'm hopefully I can stay around a little bit longer. And uh, and God gives me my uh, commission, of course, and and He can easily remove me better than anybody else can remove me. Do you notice that? He can remove any pastor whenever He wants to do that, and He's able to do that. So we have the two offices. The first office being that of a pastor. The second office being that of a deacon. Now, I just want to uh, uh, remember the word deacon is a transliteration. The Greek word is, do you know it? Deaconos. Yeah, it's a transliteration like apostle, apostolos, or like angel, angelos, or many Greek words are transliterated in our English language. So the word deacon is a servant. And I just want to, just, just for the record, just for fun, I do not believe in lady deacons, but there are churches that have lady deacons. Now, if you understand, go to Romans chapter 16. Just look at it real quickly here for me. And then we, we've got to move off this and go to our last distinctive. In Romans chapter 16, 
Just interesting. I want you to know this because somebody will bring this up to you someday. And a church that has, I'm thinking of a Baptist church right now. In fact, I talked to their pastor yesterday. They used to have lady deacons or deaconesses, they call them. Well, I want you to notice that the word here in Romans 16.1, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant. The word servant there, now there's two words for servant. I don't want to, you won't remember this anyhow, probably most of you, but the word doulos is a slave or a servant, but this is not the word doulos. This is the word deacona, or this is a female servant. And so you say, why, why are deacons servants? Well, the, here the word is translated servant for the record. Do we need lady deaconesses? Yeah, in the, the, in the functionary uh, part of that title. We need ladies that will serve. And all God's ladies said, amen. amen. Nothing wrong with that. We need men that will serve. All of our men should serve. But we appoint and we have office elections and we, we appoint, you know, deacons. You know, i going back to pastor one last time and we'll, we'll get off this, but I was voted in. I wasn't just coming, you know, the church was already going. I was voted in by all five members of our church here and I got a unanimous vote. All five voted me in. And so I didn't just come and say, I'm taking over. No, I, I, was, I, was, I was recognized and appointed and uh, that's how it works. And so we have the, the, the two offices of a New Testament church that a pastor and deacon. Let's go to now our worksheet in the last 15 minutes or so that we have this morning. And we want to deal with this last distinctive. Turn to Acts chapter 2, if you would, please. Acts chapter 2, and I know it's familiar territory to many of you, but some of you it's still uh, fairly new. Acts chapter 2. This is Peter on the day of Pentecost that had fully come. He's preaching to thousands of Jews. Some historians believe that he's preaching upwards to 100,000, maybe only 50,000, 30,000, only the Lord really knows, but there were tens of thousands of people. And it tells me that Peter, just sidebar, had to be a kind of a man's man. He was a burly fisherman from the north there, and he had to have a high voice, or not a high voice, but a, a loud voice, a bellowing voice, maybe a low voice, which would be the right. But he was able to project no loudspeakers, of course, no microphones, obviously. And he was able to preach, and he was, no doubt, we might say screaming, because he was talking in front of thousands of people. And of course, he came to those great words at the end of his sermon. I'm referring to Acts 2.36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel, and I'll lower my voice now. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, the Bible says they were pricked in their heart. Oh, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, isn't it? And said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And, of course, a very misunderstood verse we preached on many times, and verse 38, sadly, is misinterpreted by many people. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins. And uh, or, or, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, excuse me, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I won't go into all the 
confusion, just a soundbite. There are churches that say, oh, you have to be baptized in order to be saved or have your sins forgiven. That's when you get baptized, that's when you get the Holy Ghost. Now, we're going to baptize Crystal this morning. Crystal already has the Holy Ghost. And I want you to know her sins have already been forgiven. And so there's delineation. We won't go into it for sake of time this morning. Yes, sir. Sure. Amen. Yes. Yes, amen. Amen. So she repented and, and uh, she was baptized. But now that leads me to this. I guess I didn't give you the, the, the distinctive. The, the second S there in Baptist, or excuse me, the, the, the first S actually, uh, B-A-P-T-I-S, is a saved, Baptist believing a saved, baptized church membership. And I, I guess I can't apologize. I can't apologize five times, but I have to do this very quickly. What is church membership or what church membership is? Question number one, church membership is a voluntary society, a free will society. No one has to join. No one is required or made to join. Now let's look at the text one more time. We never actually looked at it yet. Acts 2 for time's sake, verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word. What does that mean, they received his word? They received what word? What, what did they receive? Somebody just tell me. They received Christ. They obviously repented and received Christ as their Savior. 53 days earlier, many of them were at that same spot, and they were crying, as we'll see the message this morning, crucify him, crucify him. And then now they're pricked in their heart, and they said, they realize that Jesus was Lord in Christ. They receive him. They receive that word. They receive the word. John 1.14, don't they? And, uh, or John 1.1 1, 1 there, of course, in the beginning was the word. And the Bible says, in the same day they were added, uh, pardon me, 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. They already received his word. They already received Christ. Then they were baptized. In the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So who were the them that they were added to? Just I have to turn one page to my Bible, so I'm assuming you have to turn at least one page to chapter 1. Notice, and again, very quickly, the Bible gives a counting. Uh, one of our guys right now, Rich or Ken or some, one of our guys is Adam, whoever it is, is going around the building, and they're counting our humble Sunday school class, this, classes this morning. In fact, there's Rich. I see him right now. He's heading up to the balcony so he can count all of our heads right now as we're speaking. And then he'll sneak back here and he'll count the ladies. And then he'll sneak over here and he'll count the, the PhD class. And he'll sneak, he's already sneaking up there and he's going to get that little girls class up there and then he's going downstairs and check the nursery. out. He's going to count everybody. How did I know the first church was Baptist? They counted. <laughs> I'm just, just teasing. And we, we see in James or Acts chapter 1, they went back to the upper room, verse 13, for sake of time. They even counted, ladies don't get offended by this, they even counted the women, verse 14. And they all prayed together. Wow, that was amazing, verse 15. And then here's again the, the, why I know they were Baptists, this first church, because it says, that they, even, they even exaggerated. It says, verse 15, the number of the names together was about... 120. 
You know, we had about 150 last week in church. I said about. You figure out how many we really had. I'm being fun with you. I'm just having a good time. But about 120, 119, 118. And so they counted. Now, several more verses, case verses, they were all, Acts 2-1, they're all in one place in one accord. There's the beauty of a New Testament church. They had all things common. And so I go back to Acts 2-41, what am I trying to say? When it says, in the same day they were added unto them, who's them? It was 120. Now I gotta do this real quickly. Acts 1, Jesus ascends up into glory. Do you think there were only 120 believers? Not in your life. There had to be, there were 500 brethren saw them at once. But now we're all members of this assembly, this local institution. Let me, let me say it this way again so you understand and get this down. God has, I believe, three ordained institutions that he, he ordained, first of all, the family, Adam and Eve. God has a plan A to procreate or to populate the world, and it's one man with one woman, ideally for a lifetime, right? That's, that's God's design. It wasn't, and I'm not trying to be funny here, but we say it, it was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. It was God man still trying to re-engineer the family. God's design works. God's design is the right way. So we have the institution of the family. Then we have the institution of civil government, human government. And God ordained governments, and we, we, we've read about that before. The powers to be are ordained of God. And then the third institution that we see God ordained, some say four, some say the, the institution of the workplace, but we won't go there for time's sake, is that of the local New Testament church. God has a plan A to win the world to Christ in this New Testament era, in this age of grace, and it's through the local New Testament church. And he needs, needs no plan B. If churches would be all that we're supposed to be and as strong and as vibrant as uh, we could win the world to Christ, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. But so God doesn't need a, there's a lot of parachurch or alongside of organizations. Uh, I'll just say it quickly. Uh, I talked to Brother Phipps this, on Friday. I talked to Brother Jim Townsley. I guess I should tell you this anyhow because uh, Brother Townsley wants to put together a patriot. He's visiting the state legislatures in Hartford. Just talked to him whatever day it was, Friday I guess it was. And he wants Brother Phipps two days to go down when he's with us and he's going to have a uh, morality conference of some sort, bring America back to God. And he's hoping that Brother Phipps maybe can go and meet some of the state legislatures that he's meeting. And that's all fine and well and so forth. But the answer to cleaning up Connecticut is not found in the state house. It never has been. It's, uh, the, the answer for Connecticut lies in gospel preaching churches and Christians getting right with God and doing what we should do. We are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. So I'm starting to preach here. But he, notice, let's finish up Acts 2.47, in, or 2, 2, 2 verse 42 rather. Let me put my spectacles back on. And they continued steadfastly. Notice the unity. This local New Testament church went from 120 to 3,120 in one day. In the apostles' teaching or doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders, miracles and signs were done by the apostles. They could raise people from the dead. And all that believed were together and had all things common. 
I always like to intersect, I always like to interject this rather. We do not believe the Bible teaches communism. I know it teaches otherwise. If a man will not work, neither shall he eat. Yes. The Bible says that every man bear his own burden. The Bible does not teach communism, but it does teach community. Love one another with a pure heart fervently. And see, we're not Mennonite. I'm pardon me, my well, we're gonna go down to Lancaster, been down there many times, and you know, those nice Amish people, Mennonite people, and they're communal. Well, it looks nice and so forth, but the Bible doesn't teach community or communism, but it does teach community, rather. Enough said. Uh, verse 44, and all that believed were together and had all things common. They had this like beliefs. Uh, just a sound bite. There's nothing wrong with a church covenant of certain things that we believe and that we all believe in common about. And the Bible says, and sold their possessions and goods and parted to all men as every man had need. There's the love, there's the community again. And they continuing daily with one accord, there's the unity, in the temple and breaking bread from house to house to eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Now verse 47 summarizes it all. Praising God and having favor with all the people. Now notice what it says. And the Lord added to the church. Now how did they get added to the church daily such as should be saved? They got added to the called out assembly, the ecclesia, the local church there at Jerusalem when they got baptized, verse 41. Then they gladly received his word. They got saved and then they got baptized. Now that leads us to our sheet and now we have about four minutes and we've got to be done. What church membership is? First of all, it's a, church membership is, a number one, a voluntary society. It's a free will society. No one has to join, unlike in the early days of our country, where if you wanted to be a voting member or you wanted to uh, be an upstanding citizen in your community, you had to join. It was required that you join the, in Connecticut, Massachusetts, the Congregationalist Church. Yeah, you had to join. You had no choice. And you got in by, well, we got to make sure that you get in from birth, and so we're going to start sprinkling. And then we'll covenant, and then we'll confirm you. Well, let me go on to number two here. Church membership is a society under the law of Christ. And so church membership should be by free will. I don't want anybody to join this church that doesn't want to. I don't want anybody that, uh, that uh, I don't want anybody, we're baptizing this morning, I don't want anybody to get baptized that doesn't want to get baptized. I don't want to for, force or coerce anybody. I got to do this quickly. We had somebody uh, show up at, uh, yesterday morning. He's supposed to be here this morning, praise the Lord. Oh, look for a visitor man. And uh, I could have prayed with him yesterday. He, we spent an hour and a half together, went through the whole gospel. I could have easily prayed with him and led him in a sinner's prayer. I think he was ready. Now don't, I on purpose did not pray with him. On purpose, I, I didn't, uh, he, I think he would have easily prayed with me. But I on purpose didn't, because I wanted to make sure that it was going to be absolutely from his heart that he wanted to pray, not that I wanted him to pray. And so I didn't, and the same with, with membership. Uh, and I can say this, and we're in a loving crowd here, just in, uh, I know we, we have folks, and we've always had people that in some cases will never join our church, but I'm so glad they come and they're part of our fellowship. And I call them, as AT&T commercial says, you know, friends and family, or family and friends, rather. They're like family, but they're not officially members. So I, I think I would consider you to examine the New Testament 
And I think that every Christian should be a member of a local New Testament assembly. Now let's go to number one, two, three, four, four conditions for church membership. First of all, you must have a regenerated heart. Acts 2.38 is our key verse, of course. That's why we do not accept people in, this is the problem with much of Protestantism or even Catholicism. You're christened, you're baptized, then you're brought up and you go through, you're catechized, you're brought in, you're, you're confirmed at age 12 or 13, you know, you're bar mitzvah, the, you know, the son of the commandments, you know, and you, you're brought into the church and when you get 16, you become a full-fledged member, a voting member in some cases. There's never a regenerated heart. One of my greatest fears has always been that we have members slip in under the radar screen as claiming to be born again and saved and really children of God. They become members of Harvest Baptist Church, but they've never been born from above. You can be a member of a local church and not be saved. But a true church member of the body of Christ is regenerated. Number two, and I... We see a confession of faith. The Bible says many verses, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I wanted to read that passage of scripture. I mentioned it last week. I'll just say it this way in a soundbite. Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher of Enfield or Northampton, Massachusetts, one of the two fathers, if you will, the first great awakening. He, was, he led that great revival Preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. God used it powerfully. Several years later, he was voted out of his church by a vote of almost 10 to 1. Because he had the audacity to say that you needed to have, be able to give a confession of faith. That you needed to be given a born-again experience. And from that, just again a history class for five more seconds, the Congregational Church, beginning in the 1730s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, they split between the new lighters and the old lighters. The new letters said you need to have a new birth experience. Most of those new letters, many of those new letters became Baptist. Isaac Backus, John Leland, uh, several others, of course, that uh, uh, preachers that became, were congregationalists that became Baptist by uh, coming all the way out. And so there was confession of faith. Number three and four, there was reception of baptism. Uh, Acts 2.41. And I don't think this is, I don't think this is uh, improper at all. In fact, I think it's biblically mandated that in order to become a member of a gospel-preaching church, you must be baptized. You must be baptized by immersion, by a legitimate church. Very important. Uh, We've got to finish up. We're done. You've got to be able to have a Christian testimony. And what I mean by that, you not only your, your talk should match your walk. And we need to have a, I was just talking to Caleb before the service here and very sensitive, but I think on three occasions in 30, 32 years of pastoring, we've uh, had to exercise what some people call church discipline or church restoration. And uh, I think we did it biblically every time. We probably should have done it more times, but, but our walk needs to match our talk. All right, hey, we're almost out of time. It's a quarter after, so we want to spend our last few minutes in prayer.